<laughs> What's up, Kingdom Builders? Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Kingdom Builders podcast. This is one you're going to want a notepad and a pen out. This is one I already know you're going to want to share. This is one you're going to want to take notes on for sure because I have with me the Kingdom Millionaire creator, Kevin Mullins himself. And I'll talk way more about him in just a bit. But Kevin, just want to welcome you to the show. How are you feeling today, brother? It's an absolute honor to be here, man. I'm excited. Likewise. And Kingdom Builders, if you don't know Kevin, his reputation precedes him. And not only is he a six-time author, in fact, his latest book, you're going to want to grab that's called As It Is in Heaven. He's also an executive movie producer. He's also been featured in all the news channels like Forbes that you would know. And he's also a seven-figure earner in his profession and his business right now as well, too. Seen all over the place. But more than anything, Kevin, what I love about you the most is you are a humble servant of the Lord. And it's so rare to meet someone where you would call them truly humble. But I'll tell you, Kingdom Builders, as I've connected with Kevin, every single conversation I've had with you, I'm just, I'm just odd. And I'm inspired by the amount of humility that you have. And um, that's why I know this conversation is going to be so incredible. But do you mind, Kevin, before I even dive into some questions here, for, the, the, for those of us that don't know your background, how did you get to be who you were today? What's parts of those stories? Yeah, man, that might take a whole nother podcast. Um, nice. You know, I think everybody has a story, right? And uh, we know that stories really are the secret to moving people uh, towards a, you know, spirit of action. And um, for mine, uh, you know, I grew up in a, uh, you know, a Christian home, a religious home. Uh, my mom and dad were, you know, just salt of the earth. I mean, they were prayer warriors. I mean, I grew up, you know, I cut my teeth on the pew of a Pentecostal apostolic church. All we mm. ever knew was church. Mm. Um, and, and so they really encouraged early on in my life, right, a relationship with the Lord. And what's crazy is, is my mom and dad wasn't necessarily entrepreneurs, although my dad did end up owning his own plumbing business. And mm. for probably the first 16, 17 years of my adult life, I worked alongside my father. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, um, they never restricted uh, some of the big dreams that I had early on in life. And mm. so, um, James, I grew up uh, poor. We, we grew up in a little trailer home in the panhandle of Florida, the area where I live. We we joke, we call that the Redneck Riviera portion of Florida. And uh, I say that because, you know, the little town I lived in uh, had probably 14, 1,500 people. Um, it's near the Gulf of Mexico. You know, pretty much everybody in my town is, you know, in construction or you're, you're on a shrimp boat or oystering. I mean, so I never knew anybody, at least personally, right, that ever had any money. I never knew anybody that had accomplished anything, you know, big in life or really even went anywhere in life. And um, so very early on, um, there was a prophecy given over me. Hmm. I think I was eight years old uh, that, uh, that, that I would minister uh, both in the business realm and, and um, as far as the gospel goes, around the world. And my mama wrote that prophecy down and she would read it to me periodically. And that really kind of astounded all of us because, once again, I, I don't know if I'd even knew anybody that had flown. I mean, you know, we just we wow. didn't have much. And. I don't mean we wasn't happy. You know, uh, yeah. I had an incredible family life. We were always happy. We were always trying to do stuff. We just didn't know we didn't have anything. Mm. And so uh, pretty early on in life, I, you know, I began to dream outside of the box, man. I began to dream in color. I began to think about, 
the many ways that God could use me. Um, and so that, I think that, that started a trajectory of me always pushing the envelope, always, you know, trying to go beyond barriers and limitations mm. and things that had probably held most people that I'd known back in life. And so yeah. fast forward throughout my journey, um, I started pastoring at 18 years old, James, and mm. I always tell people, I pastored for about 17, 18 years and, and, and I, I was a horrible pastor. I mean, <laughs> my heart was not in pastoring. I mean, I don't mean I was horrible right. at maybe delivering a message. I was passionate about feeding the people. Mm. But at the same time, my heart was more in the entrepreneurial space. And so mm. it just took time for me to navigate that season of my life and to realize that once again, that was a season of my life, but, but it was just sort of a stepping stone of other rims of influence and platforms that God would use me in. Mm. And so collectively throughout my entire journey, I don't know that I've ever fit in. I've always kind of felt like a little bit of a misfit. I always got in trouble, even in ministry, um, <laughs> you know, even, even conversations that were wrapped around, you know, prosperity, abundance and wealth and things. Mm. I, mean, I used to get in trouble so much because I would question mm. ministries that I under why we were so poor and broken yet connected, you know, to a God that's more than enough. And yeah. so throughout that journey, I think that God has a way of creating um, connections. I, I mm. believe we live life at the level of our partnerships. Mm. And I think that probably was the biggest thing for me is that although I might have been sheltered in many ways coming up, I think when the Lord began to place people in my life, they could help unlock some of those things, some of that potential in me. Mm. I think that really gave me permission to release on a larger scale mm. some of the things that God could do. So whether that was writing a book, executive producing movies, you know, building teams of people around the world that all started early on in life. But until I found some good mentorship in my life that mm. could, you know, activate purpose inside of me, mm. um, I was always at a place of struggle. And so that's really me, man, just a wow. kid from a small town in rural panhandle of Florida that dreamed bigger than most people and probably failed more than most people. And ultimately mm. it landed where we are today. So beautiful. The Redneck Riviera. I'm going to remember. <laughs> you covered so many places there, Kevin. And when you're speaking, I think about Joseph. I think about when he had his dream when he was young. And, you know, he went through his whole journey, of course, and he ended up being second in command in Egypt. And that's that's when when I hear your story, that's what I hear. You talked about dreams. And yeah. it's one of the biggest things that God's given us this ability to have. And I, I truly believe it's one of the least used things properly as well, too. Can you talk to how to dream? Like, how do you dream a God-sized dream? How do we take off these limiters that we put on? Right. It's a great question. You know, I've always, I've always stated to the people that are in, in, in proximity to me, James, that you should dream a dream so big that you're guaranteed to fail unless God steps in and helps you along the way. Mm. Mm. Right. That's a, that's, a, that's a pretty big dream, right? Or you should at least, at minimum, dream in proportion to the size of the God you serve. Mm. So, 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 so I think by default, right, as a child, I mean, there is no limitation on dreaming. We think about kids, you know, dreaming to be, you know, in the movies or dreaming about being, you know, in space. I mean, we typically as a child, right, we, we, we have the capacity uh, to really think bigger than maybe even the realms of reality that we know and have learned, you know, in our households and educational mm -hmm. systems. And I think that's also why the Lord says that unless you, become like a little child, you cannot mm. even enter into the kingdom of God. Mm. And so there's a lot of scenarios there to, 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 to really lean on as a dreamer. And one of those scenarios, scenarios are, is, uh, you know, when a child reads something like, 
you have the ability to get and create wealth. Well, if you tell a child that, a child just goes, okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you tell a child they can fly, I mean, they have no reason to disbelieve that, right? If you tell a child they can become anything they want to become, they don't have, they haven't been hit by life yet. And so the negative sort of, you know, indications and things that bombard most of us as adults and keep our dreaming restricted, they don't have any of that. And I think that's why God was mindful of telling us you've got to become like a child. And it's, it's not only so that we could, we could dream bigger, right? Pray mm-hmm. bigger. Um, but I also think that um, one of the things that a child does is it reads the Bible uh, with an unwounded heart. Mm. Because when a child reads the Bible, it doesn't read the Bible uh, from a limiting perspective. In other words, it doesn't yeah. read a principle of God or a promise of God and go, well, I mean, that sounds good, but that's probably for other people. A child reads it and immediately believes that it's applicable to their life because they have no reason to doubt. Mm. And as adults, I think we become very hesitant in our idea to dream because maybe most of our dreams have been crushed in life. Mm. And that's not because of God. It's because that when God gives us the ability to dream, whether you call that a God dream or whether you're dreaming in proportion to the size of the God you serve, I think what happens is we fail to understand that alongside the dreaming, Mm. right, you've got to then participate in acquiring the skills and the belief systems mm-hmm. and, 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 and the tools that are necessary in order to actually materialize that dream. You know, you mentioned Joseph mm-hmm. and a lot of times in some of the biblical realms that I'll, I'll thrive in, right. They'll say stuff like, you know, Joseph went from the pit to the palace, mm-hmm. right. And, and yeah. they'll say Joseph went from the pit to the palace in a day's time. Well, true to some degree, um, but also worth noting that it was 13 years in the making, <laughs> right? Meaning that, yeah, I mean, practically it was in a day, right? But the sure. actual time frame of him having that dream, brother, I apologize, man. I've got Adobe popping up here. So one second. All good. All good. I think oh, about that geez. thing, a 13 oh. year overnight success. Yeah. So 13 good. years, 13 year overnight success. And here's why though, James, because, when you go back and look, right, I mean, his brothers hated him. They were jealous, right? Um, they, they were jealous of the dream that he had. They were jealous that he was favored. They didn't know what to do with that. They were intimidated by it. And and that's a lesson to be learned as well, right? Meaning that sometimes we have to remain silent until God materializes certain things. And the other thing is, is that when God gives you the ability to dream outside the box, man, that's not going to come without hate. That's not going to come without criticism. But the beautiful thing about his journey, even though primarily most of it was some form of slavery or imprisonment, in in that process, though, he learned. In other words, like when he was in Potiphar's house, he was learning politics. He was learning wealth strategy. He was learning how to navigate the political landscape of the country in which he would ultimately be second in command. So you have to realize that had he had had he had been appointed as second in command and did not have the skills mm. to manage uh, what was a famine, a recession at that time, he wouldn't have lasted very long. Mm. And so that's the part of Joseph that we have to understand is that mm. when God gives you a dream, the dream is very clear. This is where frustration sits in James, because when, when God downloads a thought, a vision, a dream in our heart, mm. the, the end product is so clear we can taste it. Yeah. Let's just say it's a millionaire, right? Or it's, mm-hmm. it's winning a Grammy or it's writing a best-selling book. Like we can see it so clearly, it feels like it's tangible. Yes. The problem is, is that God never reveals the process. <laughs> never reveals the process. He doesn't give you the how-tos. He doesn't give you the step-by-step. And so 
this is that middle mile that sometimes us entrepreneurs, we call it the middle mile, right? Wow. It's, in, it's in the middle between the beginning and the end. That's where frustration sits in. And that's the beautiful part about Joseph, because not one time is it ever recorded that Joseph ever whined or complained. That's true. We have no record of that, meaning that even in prison, even being blamed for, you know, uh, rape, even being blamed for all the things that he was innocent of, he maintained joy, he maintained peace, he maintained an alignment with his kingdom destiny from the dream that had been deposited in his heart as a 17-year-old because he understood very clearly that God would keep his word, but the timing of it wouldn't necessarily be on, on his timing. And mm. that's the area that I think, once again, we get frustrated in is because we know that there's greatness locked inside of us, but in the process, that's where God leaves it up to us to navigate the complexities of life and ultimately make sure that we squeeze every ounce of purpose out of every season so that when we finally arrive, at the doorstep of our God dream being fully materialized and manifested, we also possess the character in order to maintain the mm. dream once it comes. Mm. Amen to that. Kingdom Builder, go back in that and play that a couple of times because you're going to need this when you have those down times as well too. But it's so key what you said right there, Kevin, is to maintain that alignment, to maintain that joy, to maintain that faith as you're going through that process. That's that's the hardest part about entrepreneurship. It's right. and even for you now, like and you you've you've gone through so many different types of dreams now. You have tons of experience and you help so many others achieve dreams as well. What are some like hacks to help you during those times when it's so easy to give into temptation and to doubt and worry and fear and anxiety? I mean, multiple things. I mean, earlier I had mentioned that we live life at the level of our partnerships. I think it's important to have you know, the right people in your life, the right voices, right? Because whoever has your ear, James, also has your future, mm. right? Whoever has your ear has your future. So it's important that you have the right voices in your life, especially when you're pursuing something that's out of your reach. Um, because there, there, there's, you're going to always be in another wilderness. You're going to mm. always be in another battle. You're going to always be facing, you know, a, another uphill scenario that seems so daunting and exhausting that it really seems impossible. So you need the right voices in your life. And I think also it's perspective, you know, because you know, especially for the kingdom entrepreneurs, anybody that's pursuing something of great fulfillment and, you know, a meaningful life, um, it's not going to come without hardship and adversity. And I think that's the greatest hindrance to most um, young entrepreneurs that I find is that when they're really pursuing uh, things that, that they believe they're capable of achieving, the first minute, right, that they're faced with a giant, the first minute that they're confronted with a season of adversity, many times they misinterpret that as an mm. evil design on their destiny, mm. right? They misinterpret that. They, they feel like that maybe God is not pleased or maybe they pick the wrong vocation or maybe they're pouring their time, energy, and effort into the wrong dream. Mm. And a, a, a seasoned entrepreneur, especially when you can view hardship through the lens of faith, you realize that, that that life is not void of conflict. That yeah. truth be known, adversity is the birthplace of supernatural promotions. Mm. It means that when you find a giant, you should be happy. You, because any time in life that you find a giant in your way, that should be a great indication that you're on the right path. Yes. That should be, you know, the, the telltale sign. Man, Lord, I'm facing conflict. I'm facing, mm. you know, arrows and darts from the enemy on every hand. Because one of the things I've discovered in life is that 
warfare is always a sign that your enemy has discerned your future. And so instead yeah. of viewing hardship um, through a defeated mindset, I think we should become very comfortable with the idea that if you're pursuing something bigger than you in life, that it won't come without any kind of, you know, once again, conflict. It won't come without battles. Yes. It won't come without some sort of, uh, you know, losses in your life. And I think if you can view that through the lens of heaven, you can become comfortable understanding that these are just things that are necessary in order to forge me, in order to mold me into the person mm. that can withstand the fiery darts of the enemy. Because whenever you make it to a large platform, especially if it's one of influence, if it's, if it's one that has great significance, then you're going to constantly be under attack and you're going to have mm. to have the character in your life to withstand those attacks and when you can when you can view those things once again i think through the perspective of kingdom theology kingdom sure. thinking you can then realize lord let me stop praying that you remove the circumstance right. let me let me say this and we can move on to the next question i think that's the problem with a lot of believers is that there's a big difference james hmm. between overcoming faith and delivering faith because if you're in the middle of your wilderness and you pray hard enough for God to actually deliver you, he will. Mm. But if you exit, if you exit that wilderness before it has worked its course in your life, you will not get the reward that's at the end of it. Mm. And that's the difference between delivering faith and overcoming faith, because overcoming faith is the type of person that realizes what David did, which is that. Lord, don't remove Goliath, but I realize that Goliath is the pathway to me being the king. Yes. Right? The reward was him sitting on the throne, but the only way to get there was Goliath. Mm. And so in our life, we, we need to make sure that we maintain an overcoming faith, which means we're not seeking to avoid conflict, mm. but we realize, Lord, if, if my very existence says that there's a problem on earth that I've been assigned to solve, and so when we start facing, once again, these seasons of darkness where it would be easy to tuck our tails and run, there's something inside of you that realizes, okay, there's a giant here, there's a mountain here, there's something that's in my path to test me on how bad I want to, 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 to once again, materialize this God dream. Mm -hmm. Because before God can trust you with something that's bigger than you, mm -hmm. he has to test your character in the wilderness to see if you're the type of person that can handle what it is that you're praying for. Amen and amen. I just got the picture of David right in front of Goliath talking about, and there's a difference of confidence and Godfidence, because to have the type of confidence that you're talking about here, to be, it, it almost seems crazy. You start to look like a, a, a maniac almost in front of other people because they're like, you should be scared. And right. David should have been scared, but he remembered whose he he's was, his was, and we should remember that as well too, that it's a God of the living host. It's a God of the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings that we have. And I just thank you for sharing that, Kevin. I can't, we need to talk about too, the kingdom principles of wealth generation that you are so, so well versed in. And this I find is one of the most controversial places in Christianity, in the world. There is mm -hmm. now a lot of new age philosophy in this world that has part truth in it. Right. There's also a lot of Christian old churchianity, some people call it, religious dogmas that hold people back. But the, the Bible talks a lot about prosperity and wealth and, and all of these. And I'd love to hear your take. Um, that might be somewhat controversial from before, but it's so true. Now it's coming alive. Like people, there's so much truth that has seeped into this, but can you talk about some of the biggest 
maybe misunderstandings of kingdom principles towards wealth generation? Yeah, I think it's the difference between, you know, religion and kingdom, right? I think mm. that when you have a religious mindset, you live life with an escapism mindset, which means mm. that you're not really interested in changing anything on earth. Your, your your biggest idea is that, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. So, Lord, you know, we'll just we'll just bide our time till you come. Mm. Kingdom mindset realizes your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so you realize that your responsibility as an ambassador of heaven is to extend the culture of heaven on earth. Mm. And in order to do that, right, you've got to ascend some of these cultural mountains, whether we're talking politics, whether we're talking education, whether we're talking, um, you know, banking and commerce. Uh, it doesn't really matter what cultural mountain you're talking about, right? The only way to bring about change is to have the resources necessary to do it. Mm. And so as you look throughout the Bible, there's definitely a pattern. And one of those patterns is prosperity, starting in the book of Genesis you know, the very first conversation that God ever had with man was the prosperity conversation. Mm -hmm. Now, because he says, be blessed. And then he says, go, go multiply, uh, be fruitful and multiply. And yeah, you could preach that as a procreation message. Sure. Right. But at the same time, it's also a prosperity conversation mm -hmm. because in Genesis nine, he goes on to talk about the exact same thing. Which matter of fact, in Genesis nine, he says, let me tell you why you're here. Mm -hmm. You're here to, uh, to, to live bountifully on earth, uh, luxurious, uh, to bear fruit, like there's there's a there's a constant approach to the very first conversations that God has with man, and it's a prosperity conversation. So our very first mandate is even to be fruitful and multiply, which means everything placed in your care must be managed, but it also must be properly multiplied. That's mm -hmm. good stewardship. Mm -hmm. So then when we look through the entire Bible, not only do we see an overwhelming thing that, you know, here's what's crazy to me. Hmm. Not one promise in the Bible, right? When we start talking about kingdom decrees, kingdom instructions, kingdom laws and commands, not one kingdom uh, instruction in the Bible has poverty attached to it as a reward. Oh, not one. Hmm. Uh, so, but but the opposite is true. Every single principle that is obeyed, I don't care what principle we're talking about, whether it's the principle of tithing, whether it's the principle of multiplication, whether it's the principle of just obeying God and meditating on His Word. The outcome was always success. The outcome was always prosperity. The outcome was always abundance. Mm. Uh, every single outcome had something to do with a more than enough extravagant um, outpouring of God's favor upon our life. Mm. Right. So and then when we even fast forward to the New Testament, it's crazy, right? Because Jesus mentioned money or, or some variation of money and finance. 2,000 times, but he only talked about prayer and faith 500 times. Wow. So it, it's, it's a glaring difference in how much he talked about money. Mm. So it obviously was very important to the point that even in his own ministry, the Bible says that he had a money box. Now, listen, we can talk about Jesus being poor into her blue in face, and that's a misinterpretation, really, of the word. But at the same time, you don't have a money box if you're poor. <laughs> And secondly, you don't recruit a treasurer as one of your 12 disciples if you're poor. Like, you don't need a treasurer if all you got $10. Mm. Right? Mm. The very purpose of a treasurer, yeah, we know the story of Judas, but nonetheless, someone was recruited. To own, their only, his only job was to make sure that he watched over the money. Mm. So, so even when we look to the campaign ministry of Jesus, it took resources in order for that to actually happen. And so most believers that I meet, James, they already know mm that he come that we may have life and have life more abundantly, right? Mm. They're comfortable quoting stuff like above all things, I would that you would prosper even as your soul prospers mm. or that the blessings of the Lord maketh one rich, 
right? He didn't say that the blessings of the Lord makes one poor. <laughs> yeah. right? The blessings of the Lord makes one rich. And then he adds no sorrow to it, which is godly wealth. Mm. Right? So, or that he's given us the ability to get and create wealth. And then as you read through the principles, and we don't have time today, but I mean, mm. there's, there's literally hundreds of principles that you could go read, including more familiar ones like Deuteronomy 28. And every time you go read that, right, when you obey those, Right. When you obey those instructions, the reward is always once again, it's always on top, not on bottom, first, not last. It's always participating in the commonwealth of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 it's strange to me that believers would struggle with this concept so much when the, when the very fact is, is that if you're connected to God, you're connected to someone that has no limitations. Obviously, the economy of the kingdom never suffers a recession. Yeah. <laughs> right. So if you're standing under an open heaven, then, then, the, then the problem is not God, nor is the problem prosperity. Mm. The problem is our capacity. Mm. And, and that's a whole different conversation, James, but this is the problem with most believers, right? Mm. Because if you're standing under an open heaven and, and you come to God and all you have is a coffee cup, well, guess how much you're going to receive? Mm. That's, that's, your, that's your capacity. You're standing before literally the, 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 you know, the, the, the water spout of heaven and the river of God's abundance, and you're saying, Lord, fill this coffee cup. And God's like, well, that's not hard. I mean, here you go. Right? But someone, that has a, but someone that has a prosperity mentality as it relates to advancing the kingdom of God, mm. man, they're probably backing up dump trucks back there. You know? <laughs> you know, swimming pools. I mean, they're bringing everything, right? Because they understand that God's not intimidated by the size of our dream. God's not intimidated by our request. Quite honestly, um, the opposite would be true, which means that if you're connected to a, to your father and, and, and you're a son and daughter of, of the father, then we should approach him boldly realizing that you cannot make a request that would intimidate God. And so mm. I, think it's, I think it's less on whether people are comfortable quoting the scriptures that apply to prosperity and kingdom abundance. Mm. And more about making sure that our heart is in alignment with the things that we're praying. Because if you're saying you believe God can bless you, but your lifestyle and your management skills and things of that nature is opposite, then it's going to be very difficult for it to ever show up. Mm -hmm. So you could pray for it, right? But if you're not the type of person that's ready to handle it, manage it, multiply it. In other words, why would God give you $100 or give you a million dollars? Yeah. So you can pray for a million dollars, but if you won't manage the 100 that you have, God's not giving you a million dollars and that'll have anything to do with God. Mm. And so here's something I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with. And we could yeah. talk about this in depth because it's probably my favorite subject to actually teach mm. and preach on. But, but oftentimes when I find people that are struggling on whether or not God wants them rich, like most believers are scared to even say that, like they're so bogged down with religion, with some form of religious uh, bad teaching mm. that they're, they're afraid to even say, God, I want to be rich. Because they've been taught such a negative construct on the idea of prosperity that they, they can't even come to terms with the fact that they desire to be wealthy so that not only they can take care of their family and leave a legacy for their for generations to come, but so they can also tithe more, mm. give more, be a person of influence in the cities in which they've been assigned to. Mm. But But when I meet people that are struggling in the areas of finance, there's a couple of questions that I always ask people, and I'll give you two of them. Mm. I had a preacher one time come to me, James. He said, Kevin, every conference I'm at, man, someone's asking you to come talk about money, finance, prosperity, and abundance. He said, man, he said, do you, you, you know, do you ever 
you know, get get worn out, you know, from talking about that. Well, Jesus talked about it more than, you know, money and faith. I mean, faith and prayer, so I must be on the right track. But so, so, so here's the question I asked him. I said, Pastor, I, I said, sure, I preach on other things. I said, but it's such a glaring issue in the body of Christ. Mm. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want to give you some homework. I said, I want you to write down everything you can do with no money. Mm. <laughs> now, look, I know you can, right? I mean, I, that's, that's a facetious question. I mean, but at the same time, it's, 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 it's a question to make a statement because there are obviously things you can do without money. But mm. at the end of the day, that list is going to be very short. Mm. You can't build a Christian college. You can't own the local bank. You can't own the local theater. You can't start business enterprises for believers. You can't build another church or a gym in your town or an outreach center. It takes resources to do that, right? So write down everything you can do with no money. But the greatest question or statement, maybe it's more of a statement, is I oftentimes get people in a room that I'm mentoring that are struggling with the idea that they should be wealthy, that it's their kingdom mandate to be wealthy. And I'll get them to basically recite this. I'll say, if money were evil, Satan would have doubled your income a long time ago. <laughs> it's crazy, right? I mean, like, think about that, James. If money was the only thing that, that, that Satan needed to get you in hell, I, I mean, this is it's ludicrous. Like, if, if I was Satan and I was like, man, you know what? That James guy, I mean, I, I can't get him off course. You know what would really make him not want to serve the Lord? I'll just give him millions of dollars. <laughs> like if that if that was the if, if money were evil, Satan would have doubled your income a long time ago. We know that money's not evil. Money money is money is God in action. I mean, that's literally what it is, right? Because money answers not some things. Listen, I didn't make this up. Don't get mad at me. The Bible says money answers all things. So here's the part of that before we move on. Sometimes people don't really want to address that. Money answers all things. I say, look, here's the deal. Do you need money in heaven? Well, I mean, no. I mean, he's got so much money, he pays his streets up there with, with gold. Mm -hmm. Obviously, resource is not an issue to God. I mean, he's got so much money. Women wear pearls around their necks. He makes his gates out of them. Mm. I mean, like everything is everything's mm -hmm. extravagant in the kingdom of God. So, so, you know, it's, it's not, no, no. Someone said, what well, you, you don't need money in heaven. Of course not. But the scripture says money answers all things. So let me ask you a question, James. I mean, is a home a thing? Yes. Yeah. Is, is, you know, is a car a thing? Yes. Is scholarships a thing? Right. I mean, is food a thing? Yes. Is vacation a thing? Absolutely. Right. So the things, in other words, the reason that we need to be students of wealth is because here on earth in our time on earth, money is for things which, and, and by the way, I mean, God's not intimidated because you want two homes. I mean, that's not intimidating God. I mean, all of our biblical heroes were so wealthy. It was ridiculous. Solomon was so wealthy that he had so much money in his economy. The Bible says that silver and gold laid on the streets like stones. Wow. That's how much money he had. They were, it was as common as stones laying on the ground. So we understand God wants us to prosper, but when you put money in the hands of born-again believers, guess what? You can mm. make different movies. Think about this Jesus revolution that just come out, taking the world by storm. You know what it takes to, to put together a great production? I mean, a lot of Christian films are made with next to no money, right? But mm. when you have the resources in place to hire someone at the caliber of a Kelsey Grammer, you have someone to hire a, a, a better writing staff, a better directing staff, that takes millions and millions and millions of dollars to do. 
and then that's not to count the marketing strategies and stuff, right? So when you want to have better content so that our youth and so that our world can experience God in every element that we're thriving in, it takes revenue to do that. And that is a thing. So money answers all things. And so it's just important that we understand that if you're connected to God, you're connected to an open heaven. And if you choose not to participate in the commonwealth of the kingdom, then that's just you through a level of unbelief saying, well, those scriptures are in there, but I really don't believe them. So doubt actually cancels the harvest of God. Mm. But obedience to a kingdom instruction positions you to actually receive the full reward of whatever principle that you're obeying. Amen. My gosh. Uh, Kevin, this has been astounding. I got to ask um, another question as, as we close off as well to respect you and your time yep. so much. But um, okay, you're, you're an entry-level entrepreneur. You build sales teams all over the world, entrepreneurs all over the world. You have someone coming in and they're like, all right, um, what goal should I set? What, what money goal should I set? I think common knowledge says set a small goal and kind of work from there. But, but how do you set a money goal when you're building a business from scratch? How do you go about that? Yeah, I think sometimes that's, uh, that's where questions come in, right? I think yeah. that uh, questions are the secret to answers. I think sometimes when you're mentoring people, the worst you can do, right, is not dig into their life to figure out what it is that they actually need. And so I always like to start where they are. You know, James, if someone comes in to say my, my business organization and I start trying to set some, some, you know, goals to really stretch them, get them out of their comfort zone, get them to believe bigger and to identify some things that seem a little bit out of reach. The first thing I do is just figure out what they want. And I'll tell you a way that I do that. I'll tell mm -hmm. you a way that I do that because I'll listen to them and they'll say, well, here's what I owe in the house. Here's my credit card debt, right? And let's just say everything together is a hundred grand. Mm. I say, well, here's, 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 here's a path, a blueprint, if you will, to go create a hundred grand. And you can do that in two years, or you could do that in 90 days. And the only difference in that equation is you, mm. All right? We can, we can, we can speed up the process, right? We can, we, we, we can hustle a little harder, put in a few more hours and we can shorten and condense this space and get you there much quicker if you want to, right? Or you can just take as long as you want and you may or may not get there. But up front, Many times what I like to do is I like to listen to people. And, and uh, this is a common mistake I've made for a long time before I learned this. And I wish someone would have taught me this in high school. I definitely wish someone would have taught me this as a young adult. Mm. But all of us, James, are really kind of taught to dream or to conduct life the same way. Right? Mm. The pattern that most of us, if not all of us, is taught is based on a system that ultimately has you working for someone else, which means somebody else determines what you're worth based on what they're willing to pay you. And whether we admit it or not, it means that our boss or our CEO or whoever's con controlling your weekly pay ultimately also controls where you live, the types of cars you drive, where your kids go to school, if you go on vacation and how long you can stay on vacation. That's all controlled by someone you work for. Mm. So typically we're all taught the same thing, which is, you know, go to school, um, you know, graduate high school, go to college. That's not for everybody, but, but it's, it's typically taught right across the board. Then go to college. And with college, you know, you get a skill and a particular level of education. Then you go get a job. Mm. Or if you're more like me and you're more of a tradesperson, right? You, you hate school, but you graduate and you immediately go into the workforce. And then you're taught this kind of the same thing there. You just sort of work and hope to climb up the ladder and just make more money yearly. 
Yeah. Uh, which is also you begging somebody for a raise for the type mm-hmm. of work you're doing. So here's how that works out, James. You go to school, then maybe you go to college and you're in debt there for the most part. Then you go get a job. With that job, you make money. So here's the crazy mm-hmm. thing. Here's that word again that I used earlier. When you have money, you buy what? Things. Mm. Right? You buy things. So you're married, you're buying things. You've got a little small home. You know, maybe you're renting. You got a little small home. You got, you know, whatever car you can afford. You have things. The, the thing that happens is that when you're first married, though, you have different dreams. Your dream is probably when you, I remember I first got married, you know, the, the redneck will come out in the here a little bit. And my wife was like, I'm going to drive a Mercedes. And I'm like, I'm going to have a, you know, Bigfoot Tonka truck. Go. <laughs> you know, we have mud trucks where I live. I'm like, man, I'm going to have a big old jacked up, you know, four wheel drive. And, um, you know, we're going to have a house down on the river. I mean, I live near a lot of rivers. It's like I knew the river I was going to live on. But then life smacks you in the face and you're five years in marriage, right? And you're, you're still eating potted meat. You're like, I mean, life is hard. Life is tough. You know, and, but, but when you start making a little bit more money, right, you, 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 make, you, you make money, you buy things. Problem is, is that when you're five, ten years on into your adult life, your desires change. Got too excited. Yeah, man. Boy, I got to shouting there for a second. <laughs> and by default, right, you start you start dreaming a little bit bigger. And you're like, man, man, I, man, I'd like to have that boat. I've always wanted that boat. I'd like to have the boat. And the wife's like, well, you know, mm-hmm. I'd like to have a little bigger home. You know, or maybe I'd like to have one more kid, two mm-hmm. more kids, right? You no, know, it takes money to do that. So we start stretching, right? And then what are your options? Your options are like, well, maybe I should go back to school. Mm-hmm. I should go get another degree, or Maybe I should acquire another skill. And then it gets you an extra 5000 maybe $10,000 a year or whatever. And it's, it is, it, you re- repeat that process. Mm. So I always teach people that I'm mentoring, what if we reverse the process, James? What if we mm. just reverse it? What, what if I just told you, how about take the lid off of your dreaming because it doesn't cost you anything to dream big. Mm. What if just starting today, you just told me all the things you, you, you want in life. Mm. And, and, and once again, we're not saying things mm-hmm. necessarily make you happy, right? It's not that money can buy happiness, but being poor won't make you happy either, right? Yeah, so it's just true. a state of mind. <laughs> I always somebody say, well, you know, you know, I always tell people, money doesn't change who you are, right? Money just reveals what's in your heart. Mm. And the example I always use is if you're a drunk and you win the lottery, right? You're not going to change. You just drink better alcohol. That's <laughs> Right. But if you're a tither and a giver mm. and you start making millions of dollars, well, that won't change either. You'll just start giving at a higher level mm. because money just reveals the personality of you. It reveals what's in your heart. So I always tell people, what if we just took the lid off your dream? How about you go back home, do some research, sit down with your wife and kids. And what, 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 why don't you just put on your vision board or write down all of the things you would really want? Mm. All right. Well, man, I, you know, me and my wife would really love a home in, you know, uh, Cabo, Mexico for our beach home. And we would also like one, you know, in Vancouver or one in New York or wherever, right? Your favorite place, a ranch Mm -hmm. in Wyoming. I don't care, right? Okay, great. Here's the car I really want. Here's how much money in, you know, my mutual account or whatever, my marketing account I'd really like to have. Here's how much money in liquid cash I'd like to have. Here's all the things I would like to do or to build. Mm -hmm. You just take the lid off of it. Doesn't cost you anything to put it down. So if someone would have taught me this earlier in life, right, I'd have been like, well, you know, a private jet to fly around the world so that I can get there and back on my time. Here's the vehicle I would want. Here's the revenue I would like to have to help the ministries that I'm connected to also help my family leave generational wealth. So if you went and did all that and then you came to me, James, and said, Kevin, I did it all. I did all my homework. Mm-hmm. And here's what I figured out. 
I'm going to need $10 million to really live the life of my dreams. Mm. I go, man, 10 million, 50 million, whatever it is, right? I'm like, it's a lot of money. Mm. I'll go, so let me ask you this. Is that doable at what you currently do in life? Mm. And the answer is always no. Yeah. The answer is always no. It's like, no, man, I'll be good if I ever retire, right? And I'll go, okay, so you already know what you're doing doesn't work. I'll say the crazy thing is, is that these, this is a doable goal, but then the next question is also important, which is, what are some of the things in the marketplace that I could spend occupying my time in mm. that could ultimately render the type of income that I need in order to live life on mm. my terms? Mm. Now, for one, that might be real estate. For another, it could be trading stock. For me, it's network marketing. Right. For in other words, it could be many different things, but that's what I try to do, James. Is I try to find out what their needs are, and then I try to stretch them and say, what if, what if, what if, what if you could just think for a moment the life that you would really like to have without any financial restraint? What what would it look like? And whether it's a million dollars, ten million dollars, or a hundred million dollars, then I get to utilize that and circle back around and say, do you know a platform that can create that type of revenue? And generally, they don't. But if I do know one that can, I get them to understand I have something that can help fulfill the financial goals you have. And here's what's required to get there. And we can even condense the process by learning some skills, by mm. taking some necessary actions in order to get there. And so I think it's just important that when you're sitting down with a new person that, yeah, maybe you don't want to scare them slap to death with some dream that's so crazy, right? That this <laughs> impossible. But I think you have to do that up front to get them to understand mm. How big life can be if you're committed to the actual dream that you say you're dreaming, but then you back down from that dream and you start small with some mm. daily or weekly, you know, once again, uh, applicable things to, to make sure that they're carving away on a consistent basis, creating that compound effect that they can realize that I have a chance. I have a fighting chance to create the life I want if I start now doing some things different then I'm in control of my financial destiny. And so I get on the big dream big. I bring that back to some daily or even weekly goals. And then as they start hanging around me, James, in other words, right, you can't hang around heroes and be a zero. <laughs> you start hanging around people that think bigger than you. All of a sudden it starts, it starts activating something inside of you that once again was that childlike faith that you've lost touch with. Mm. And for the first time in life, you can see them fighting for something that's bigger than them because they can see very clearly that it's tangible, that it's something that they can truly materialize if they have the right vehicle, the right mindset, and they'll put in the work. So well said. Kingdom Builder, I hope you take this assignment seriously. The way I'm taking notes is imagine Kevin is coaching you directly. Are you willing to take the lid off of your dreams? And are you getting around heroes? Follow Kevin and everything that he does. He has a ton of books. I started reading one of yours already. I was like, oh my gosh, this is already so good. I can't wait to get through all of them. Go to Kevin's website, follow him on his Instagram. Kevin, is there anywhere else that's a good place for people to follow and reach you? Or are those the, the best places there? <laughs> Man, I tell you, I'm horrible at social media, James. Uh, it, my, my entertainment team begged me for two years to start an Instagram account. It took forever. So I do try to post daily. But, yeah, Instagram, it's at uh, the initials of my business, which is CTV LLC. And you can go to Kevin Mullins, uh, Mullins spelled with an E, KevinMullins.com, and you can see the books there. And, matter of fact, my very first book, which is, is, des is designed to actually crush the poverty mentality, and was a bestseller on Amazon. It's called mm -hmm. More Than Enough. They can actually download that PDF format for free. 
Wow. So it's a very good tool to start with you and your team and your group and just start diving into some of the principles that are necessary in order to really live, uh, live in a life without limitations. Yes. Thank you so much, Kevin. I just want to honor you um, for the work that you do. I know you're running in a line that is at first and early on in your career was controversial and still to this day is controversial as well, too. But it's important because you're running the line with truth. And that's why I like even as I'm reading through your book, it's loaded with scripture. It's not just, you know, good thinking, stuff like that is if we as a people, we have a, as a body of believers come with childlike faith again, read his word without the heart hurt that you mentioned. We're just like, what does it say? And let's just try it. I recommend anybody and I challenge anyone that's listening to this to be a child again. Just try this. Just attempt this. If it doesn't work, I'll refund you your time. I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. But Kevin, as we conclude this time together, um, do you have any last message for the kingdom entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, I just I want to remind everybody that's really desiring to be an entrepreneur that to just remember that, you know, when we read through the Bible, James, almost every one of our biblical heroes were entrepreneurs. This yeah. doesn't get talked about a lot. Right. Whether we're talking about Daniel, who was a political strategist, whether we're talking about Joshua and Caleb, who were, you know, warriors in an army, whether we're talking about Abraham, who was a farmer, whether we're talking about Joshua, Joseph, which was a wealth strategist and uh, an economist. I mean, all through the Bible, uh, if almost every one of our biblical heroes were entrepreneurs that were called into the marketplace with a prophetic anointing to the point that the very first person uh, in the entire Bible, that the Bible in the book of Exodus, the very first person that was ever mentioned of being spirit filled wasn't a Levitical priesthood. It wasn't a prophet of God. It was Bezalel. He was yeah. a craftsman of silver and gold and bronze. He was excellent at his work. It's the very first time ever mentioned in the Bible that someone was called spirit filled and it was an entrepreneur. And so I don't think this is by accident, because when we look through the pages of the Bible, we realize that God was constantly calling people out of obscurity to take, take a position of notability mm -hmm. so that he could work in them and through them. And much like Billy Graham said, he believed that the next great revival would be in the workplace. I believe that that's what we are. I believe you go to church for the equipping, mm -hmm. uh, for the training. But I believe good spiritual mentorship also deploys you back into the areas in which you've been assigned to, whether that's education, whether that's entrepreneur, whether that, regardless of what that is, acting or, uh, you know, being a hairdresser. It doesn't matter what field you're in. I think we have today not just kingdom entrepreneurs, but also prophetic entrepreneurs, people that are in tune with what God has said in the last days, much like the sons of Issachar mm -hmm. that understood the signs and times of seasons. I believe that that's what God is using is people that have a voice because when we talk about the fivefold ministry mm. you know probably less than five percent james of people in the church really ever go into what's called the traditional fivefold ministry mm. so so what are we as as pastors and, and and apostles and bishops what are we doing with the 95 percent that sit in the church pew mm. all right we don't want to just preach to them we want to make sure that we give them the life skills and the training and the teaching and the coaching that is necessary to go back into their arenas of influence and to become the highest version of themselves in the eyes of God that can serve the mission of the kingdom with their sphere of influence. And so just continue to dive deep into the word, realize that every principle and instruction of God is there and designed specifically for you to be successful in life and to not just have good success, but to have godly success. Mm. 
to have success that can be maintained, to have a success where you also have significance attached to it, where people see value in what it is that you're offering. And I believe that if you'll do that, God will favor your life. And when God favors you, that means that God is endorsing you. And when God endorses you, that means that you've got an unfair advantage. You've got no competition for the sphere of influence in which you're operating in. And so I want you to go back and prepare your bank account, prepare your social media, prepare your home. I believe God's getting ready to move you into a new dimension of authority, dominion, a new dimension of prosperity, because he can trust you to not only build things for yourself, but also that we can set aside some parts of the revenue that we've been earning to be a blessing to others mm. so that God can look down through the earth and see a group of people that's living in a perpetual state of generosity to best mm. represent the culture of heaven. Oh, kingdom builder. Accept that. I accept that a hundred percent. Thank you so much, Kevin, for your words of wisdom. If you're not following Kevin, once again, grab all of his stuff, grab all of his books, follow this and be sure to, Go on his Instagram and everything as well, too. Kevin, thank you for your time again today, brother. This thank was you. absolutely incredible. This was anointed. And if you got value from this, guys, share this everywhere. Subscribe to this YouTube. Be sure to get this message everywhere because anybody that's a kingdom entrepreneur needs to have this as the number one type of conversation, seriously. But Kevin, um, do you mind closing us with a prayer today? Yeah, I'd love to. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this conversation with me and James. And Lord, we ask that you would bless every listener that gets on this podcast, watches it on YouTube, on social media. Lord, we're living in a time where people are being bombarded by dark voice, voices and Lord, spirits of every kind are trying to hinder the potential that's in their life. Mm. And I hear God directly confronting that spirit of fear and getting each and every one of us to understand that it's time that we come out from the shadows and to realize that God has positioned us for such a time as this, that we would be the person that revival could be birthed through in our homes, our communities to remember Lord, that you didn't just say that we're the salt of Seattle or the salt of San Diego or the salt of Crawfordville, Florida, but salt of the earth, Lord light of the world, which means, yeah, we have a local responsibility, but we also have a global responsibility. May you challenge us in every way to lift the standard of our living, to raise the level of our faith, to read your scripture with an open heart and open mind, and to recognize, Lord, that you've given us the ability to get and create wealth. And so we have to ask ourselves, Lord, what are we doing with the gifts and callings that you've deposited into our life? May we be found fruitful. May we be found faithful. May we be found as the types of people Lord, that are available for your voice to speak through so that every element, every atmosphere, every environment that the listener and the watcher consumes will be different because you were there. We thank you for James and his obedience, Lord, to continue and to open up, Lord, all of his platforms to advance the kingdom and to reach the new person, Lord, to give them an established position, Lord, into the rims of faith and to understand that your love, Lord, is bigger than all of our mistakes, mm. that there's a purpose for each and every one of us. And may this call go forth, Lord, and begin to really call, Lord, a clarion call to the world that this would be a hub for people to come and learn, then be deployed back into the elements in which they've been assigned to, to be the very best that you've called them to be. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. A prayer of prayers. Kevin, thank you so much once again, brother. And Kingdom Builder, share this once again and continue to progress in your kingdom so that you can elevate and best represent God's kingdom. On that, we'll see you on the next times.